You're listening to The Tech Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next hour we're going to be talking about all things tech. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Paul Armstrong who appears to be shivering in the studio today and Paul is author of Disruptive Technologies. Why are you so cold? I don't know. We're in a t-shirt, we're a jumper, it's December. (laughs) Um, Yes, so here we are and we are joined today by Andre K, Voyager Blue and uh, we don't often get this actually on the Tech Talk show but he's bought a whole little box of tricks in front of us, Paul. Do you want to describe some of those? What we got? Uh, we have a black box that says RFID on it. We've got a Samsung phone. We've got a wallet with credit cards in it. We've checked those. Uh, lots of other credit cards. Mm. And yeah. Hmm. So, Andre, welcome to the show. And uh, Voyager Blue. T- tell us what Voyager Blue does. And, and then I'm going to ask about how you managed to get into all this stuff. Okay. Well, Voyager Blue started about 10 years ago. Um, I am a sales and marketing guy who specializes in travel technology for the aviation industry. And um, one of the things that we used to develop was biometric passport scanners for identity cards and passports. And I thought during all the meetings that I had, there was going to be a vulnerability in those contactless technologies. And therefore, I patented in 2006, or at least filed a patent in 2006 for a RFID shield. And RFID means radio radio frequency, frequency identification. Identity, identification. So yeah. radio frequency. Look, because I'm a girl. Well, I shouldn't say that actually. That's sexist, oh, isn't it? Oh, I'm glad I didn't oh, say that. I said the wrong thing there. Well, I can say that in a way because I didn't get taught stuff like that at school, which obviously, hopefully, people do now. What is Good radio save. frequency? What does that, does that actually well, mean? If I if I keep it relevant to documents, mm. and where I started was with the biometric passport, or sometimes known as the e-passport. And radio frequency, in the instances of those types of documents, are you ready for some tech? Yep. Is predominantly 13.56 megahertz, which is the frequency that the transmitter transmits at to stimulate the document, the passport, the ID card, or the credit card, to wake up. And then the data from that document or card, for the want of a better description, is sucked out of the card into the reader that transmitted the signal. So, in essence, it is transmitting, you know, in, you know, through the airwaves, as it were. There is a, there's a transmission going on. Yes. And then it, we need technology to actually pick that up. It's interesting because the documents we're talking about, credit cards, ID cards, passports, um, are passive. So they don't actually transmit they don't have a battery more often than not Mm. so they are passive radio frequency devices and only give up the data when they're interrogated by a signal which says wake up here's the code give me the data back and they do right and and is that the little chip that we have on our credit cards and our our cash cards well again to be very clear and for everybody to understand because we get it quite a lot in america who've only just gone to chip and pin. Yeah, they're way behind on that, aren't they? Yeah, they which are. Is, which is they weird. will look at the credit card and debit card and look at the little copper contacts and go, oh, yeah, I've got one of those. Mm. Not necessarily. Mm. Because those little copper contacts for us in Europe, they're the old technology whereby you physically inserted your card in a machine, tapped the pin number, 
and it's the contacts in the machine which touch the contacts on the card. So, so, that's so there's, a the physical, there's a physical... Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The contactless chip or the RFID chip, you actually can't see it in the credit and debit cards, but you can see it in the first version of the British passport. It was visible. Mm. And you literally sort of have to wave it within, within, a, within the vicinity. <clears throat> I presume that vicinity... I'm, I'm talking about cash cards here. It's, it's quite a sh- small vicinity, and that, that, that sort of wakes it up. Yes. Yeah. So I've just gone for a little coffee mm-hmm. uh, today, and I, I like contactless. I love it. Well, actually, I do Apple Pay. I actually prefer Apple Pay because it's, it's a double authentication. Um, so I just waved my thing. Now, I am sure that when I went for lunch today, my, my payment for my coffee didn't get taken. I'm convinced of it because it hasn't come off my phone. And I've said, Are you, uh, has this gone through? Are you okay? Uh, you know, have I paid for it? And they went, yeah. Now I know I haven't paid for that. So somebody has. Because <laughs> I didn't. So how's it gone through? Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Is it because somebody else was in the vicinity and have actually accidentally taken my payment without well, realising? It, it is possible. And one of the things, I was talking to your colleague earlier about <clears throat> what it is we're, we're saying when we promote our RFID shielding technology. Mm. We very much focus at the moment more on accidental payment um, than we do on somebody walking down the street, hacking into your rucksack, stealing the data, mm. and then going happily spending money yeah, on your yeah, car. A different, a different thing. And actually, um, here comes a bit of a picture for you. Um, for you on to, the radio, I just, just, just letting you know here. Um, <laughs> Whilst so, I just want to show you this. So I took that as well this morning. So you've taken a photograph of two... They're like the cash unit. What do you call them? Those 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 uh, unit things, uh, uh, the payment unit things yeah. that, that sit on the uh, terminals. That's right. Sit on that. Sit on the. Uh, and where is that? Pret or somewhere? Yes, that was downstairs. Ah. And I took that for a reason because one of the things we talk about, and the international standard for contactless technology is four centimeters. Um, we've done a lot of research and we've talked to people, for example, at the University of Surrey a professor by the name of Dr. Johan Briefer, and he conducted tests, and it is available to see on YouTube. And in a discussion with him, the maximum distance they got a contactless card to read was 90 centimetres. So so what you mean by the European standard is they're saying that... that, that is that a minimum or a maximum? Um, that's a maximum. The so, ISO is a maximum of four, four centimetres. centimetres. So what you're supposed to do then is it shouldn't be transmittable past four or five centimetres. That is correct. And, the, and what they're saying is 90 centimetres is like three foot now. That's quite a lot. Yeah, it's just, a, it's <laughs> just a under a yard. Away. A metre, sorry. But again, we've got to be very ethical about what we say and what we do. And um, Dr Briefer was able to do that in a lab with a lot of filter technology to filter out all the stuff they didn't want. Yeah, sure. So we see all the time on YouTube, and it really does bug us for the want of a better description, people walking through a cafe with a rucksack and the graphics on the screen are going beep, 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 gathering data. Mm. We've never seen that. But the reason I took the picture this morning in Pret was because every woman that I saw as I sat having my coffee had her handbag at hip height exactly the same height as the point of sale terminals Mm. and because they are so close together if somebody comes next to them and transacts 
at the same time as a purse or a handbag is in such close vicinity, then I say it's possible. That they could be paying They could be paid for somebody else's lunch. Mm. So in terms of your payment this morning, don't know. Um, Maybe they were busy, maybe it didn't register. I can't answer that question. I don't know that. Mm. Um, And is there a difference between cashless payment as far as this technology is concerned and Apple Pay? <clears throat> because yeah. Apple Apple Pay, I have I have to put my thumb on my phone, otherwise it's not going to work. Or a code, uh, or a code, or a code, absolutely. Um, whereas con- contactless, you'd literally just just wave it around. So, is there any difference there? Or is it exactly the same problem well, that you're talking about? You, as I listen to you, you're kind of answering your own question because with Apple Pay and payments using NFC on a mobile phone, you may have to tap a PIN number to get access to make the payment. But it's still... Or use your fingerprint yeah. to get access to make the payment. But once you've authorised that and you tap your phone in the vicinity of the reader... It's then open. Then it works exactly it's, it's open, the same. open, so to speak, yeah. Yeah, because the NFC, as far as I'm aware, the NFC specification on a mobile phone in terms of its distance is very similar to, if not exactly mm. the same, as that from a credit card. Now, the credit card, as you've just pointed out, has no need for a fingerprint, has no need for a PIN number, Mm. and I can use each card three times for a maximum of £30 before I'm asked to enter a PIN number. Yeah. So um, so we've got all this, I love all, I mean, I don't use cash at all, don't I, like you, Paul? But I no, can't remember last time I used like cash. Thank for a pound in this place when they want I know, you just said, can I have a coffee, please? We've got a pound, oh, don't ask me, I've got no money. Um, so, so we're all travelling around with these cards. Um, how, I mean, there are, there are, I have seen programmes where people can actually hack into your, into your card, you know, as, you're, as, you, as you say, as you're walking past, which is slightly different. But how do you prevent being accidentally... Uh, some me, this person actually probably accidentally bought me a coffee just earlier, mm. not realising it. I don't care; it's only three pounds, but you know that's not fair. So, so how do we prevent that? What, what, what can we? Are there easy steps that we can take as consumers? Well, from an accidental payment point of view, and I love contactless too, mm. and I use it all the time, especially when I'm in London. I don't get to that often on Anglesey, but down here I do. <laughs> um, is always ask for a receipt. And it's quite surprising to me when I come to London and pay for stuff using my contactless cards. I can't do that though, Andre. I end up going home with like 25 receipts. Well, then, you know, then that's the problem. Pounds. That's your problem. Um, yeah, I, isn't a receipt as well to say um, it comes through on your mobile phone? So I use Monzo, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and every time I use my contactless card or um, Apple Pay, it will show me um, a physical notification that yep. I've got that. So I think that's. Is that what you mean as well, not just a physical receipt? Or mm-hmm. you mean a, Correct. So any receipt? Okay, right. Yeah, make sure you've got an acknowledgement of some form, in some form, of yeah. that transaction okay. you've just made. Yeah. And if you try and admit that you've just bought a coffee and you haven't paid for it, good for you. Well, if, I did ask them. I did exactly. say, look, this has, I know this hasn't gone through because normally it is, there's a tick on my phone and, yeah. and it goes ping and it didn't. But then he's going, you oh, see, no, it's gone through. Uh, well, uh, I know it hasn't. And I brought, but that could be a software glitch as well. They you might reckon? have just missed that animation for you or something okay. like that. I'm all so right if that's happened. I suspect Pret will get their money either way. This wasn't Pret. I go to Independence, Paul. Good. I don't go to places like Yay, Pret. Artisan. <laughs> and, and maybe they knew you was doing this interview afterwards. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> maybe that was it. Mm. But so, in terms of, if I can, because yeah. I did bring some tech with me, yeah. which is all over the tech. Um, but I've turned the phone off for obvious reasons Mm. that you know I 
brought an Android phone with me specifically to show you that I can go on the Play Store and I can type in to the Play Store credit card reader. And what I will get are dozens upon dozens of apps that are free, legal to download, that will enable me to tap my wallet and extract as much information as I want out of it to scare the you-know-what out of you. Now, if my phone was on, and if yeah, I was... is that a false... I mean, sometimes I do these as a joke, and actually it's just false info. Or is it real if, info? If my phone was on... Yeah. And I can... We can do it after the show. Well, it's, we, and the reason why we don't have phones on in the studio, because it, it creates um, a whole lot of um, problems, and also I don't yeah. want my mum ringing me up and asking me so, if I put the washing out. Let me give you an example <laughs> of, is it just a joke? So, no, no, what, what I mean is some of these apps that you, you pay for or are free to download, what they do is they simulate something, mm-hmm. you know, to, so that you can show your friends and scare them. But yeah. it doesn't mean to say they can actually do it. Right. There's, there's a difference, I think. And, and you're right, mm. because what the apps do that I have on my phone, I think they're serious. Mm. Because with my phone, I can tap, and I never would, your credit card, and I will extract from it and show it on the screen the credit card number and the expiry date. That's not playing around. And you might say, well, it doesn't have... Get the hold secu- of yours there, Paul. <laughs> you might say it doesn't <laughs> You're have You're welcome to the £50. Pounds. <laughs> but I did this when I went to see a bank in the Netherlands. I booked my hotel using the data that I got off one of these free apps, albeit using my credit card. Yeah. I went to the hotel and I checked in And then they asked me for my credit card, which I gave them to authenticate that I was there. And I said, but what if I didn't turn up? She said, well, we'd have charged your credit card for the room that you booked that you didn't turn up for. But the engine that I used online to book didn't ask me for my security code because it wasn't a reservation. It was a reservation, not a confirmed booking. Yeah. So... Mm. So, 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 what what are you suggesting here? You've got some stuff in front of us, um, and uh, w- w- just talk us through some of these. So, what are you suggesting we should do to try and protect ourselves a little bit? Well, basically, uh, what Voyager Blue did in two thousand and six was to file a patent for an RFID shielding solution, mm. and it has evolved over that time. It's stuck very closely to the patent, but what we basically have developed are these little plastic card inserts. So this just looks exactly like a credit credit card. card. It's it's, it's, uh, slightly thicker, actually. Oh, no, it's exactly the same size. Yeah. Um, And what do I do with this? Just put it in my my wallet, in my my handbag, or how how does it work? A, A little bit more technical than that. And what we tend to do is we always advise, but if you turn that one over and the, and the people who are listening can't see it, but we always advise, if you look at these, for example, that the user instruction be on the back. Very yeah, so, clear how to use it yeah, and so basi- how to gain maximum benefit. So basically what you're saying is you need to, you need to put one of these uh, directly behind up to a maximum of three cards. This will protect three cards yeah. at once. So, so well, I, 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 I slot this in with, my, with three cards at once and that should do it. In the same card slot. Yes, in if the same card slot. If they're gathered out, if they're spread out, you need one then the each. radio wave will hit yeah. one of the cards behind. Yeah. And the way it works, if I can just explain, we used, um, from a technology point of view, a good northern university, Bolton University, actually developed 
the technology that's inside that card. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of shields you get coming in from far the Far East use tinfoil. We don't. We have a specifically engineered fabric. So what we do, and the reason we can protect up to three cards, is we don't just reflect the radio signal that try and wakes the card up. So it literally bounces it off. It bounces yeah. some of it off. Yeah. But most of it we absorb. So the radio wave, if you think of electricity, conducts across the surface of the fabric that's embedded within that plastic card, so there isn't enough energy to wake the card up. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there's no batteries. It'll last longer than the card it's meant to protect. It developed technology-wise from Bolton um, and pretty much that. And, and, and how much would one of these be, uh, uh, Andre? Well, not, not just yours, but, you know, roughly in the market. So this is just a normal, it's called a card guard, and, and in essence you need one of these for every, every three that you have slotted in yeah. your, in your well, thing. If you take this one, which is a retail pack, mm. we won't use the company name because I haven't got permission to do so. Okay. Um, but this retail pack retails for six ninety nine for two, and that's a twin pack. So for three or four quid, you're Six protecting cards. yourself. It'd be mad not to, really, wouldn't it? Don't yeah, no. I'm definitely seeing this as a trend in um, consumer gadgets and that sort of stuff from when you go travelling and things like that. So uh, carry-on bags are um, shielded in some way and that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's uh, a very interesting and simple solution, you know? It's not... You know, the tech behind it is very, very complex, I would imagine, and that sort of stuff. Well, but, you know, the, the tech, the tech wallet, was, very sensible. but if I can explain why we did it also... <coughs> was my background is uh, passenger processing at airports and borders. Mm. And I was saying to a colleague before I came on air, when I invented the passport shield rather than a passport wallet, there was a reason behind it. Because everything that my brain does in terms of the products we developed and you have on the desk before you is in terms of passenger processing. So let me give you an example. You could buy an RFID shielding wallet and you're... On your way to work in and the morning. And that's a whole wallet, it's that, a whole wallet. That, that does it as opposed to just a yes. card that you slip in, yeah. We chose not to go down that avenue. We chose down to go down the insert avenue for this principal reason. If you have two of our shields in, Paul, your wallet, and they're protecting six credit cards, but you still have an Oyster card, you can put your Oyster card in the outer banknote slot, and when you get to the barrier in the morning, tap the wallet on the barrier... Mm the barrier will still read your Oyster card and the barrier will open. But our shields prevent your credit cards from being read Mm. and therefore you couldn't get charged on one card going in and one card coming out because the others are protected. Okay, we're going to have a little break and uh, we've got a pre-record here for a little while and we'll be back with you in a minute. So I'm here with uh, Rob Johnson and Greg Harris, and uh, they're from Global Resourcing. In fact, Greg um, took over the company, and it's his company now, uh, a couple of years ago. And they're in the sort of uh, recruitment, you know, headhunting, uh, I don't know what else you call it, really. You're, you're, I'm sure you're going to put me right in a minute. Um, and uh, we're, we're talking about digital skills, which everyone knows is, is a really hot topic at the moment, uh, particularly with Brexit, and making sure we keep those skills but I believe in the world out there that it's really, really hard to get some of the top skills because everybody's fighting for the same people. Um, so, Greg, as far as global resources are concerned, can you just explain to me a little bit how, how it would work? If, if I'm after a really top-end 
real digitally, digitally skilled, let's say, director-level person, and I came to you, what would be the first part of the process? Okay, so uh, fundamentally that's a search campaign, um, and it, we initially will go along, I mean, Rob actually heads up the exec search division, so um, his main role is, is reaching out to those clients, and we spend a lot of time talking them through um, and really quantifying what it is they're looking for. So a lot of the work is upfront and drilling down into the key core components of what the client is really looking for and then challenging that back. Um, once that uh, process has taken place and we've, we've got the brief, which is effectively the job spec, then we, comp- we will go into our um, search campaign. And we'll use various methodologies to, to look for those skilled candidates. So part of it is advertising. So, so but presumably we're not talking about uh, sort of um, mass a number of people we're talking about here. This is very selective. You want to get the right number of people applying, but at the right level. So this isn't a numbers game at all. No, it's a really targeted um, recruitment process. So there are obviously two sides. There is the contingency, when it's known in the market, and that typically, the engagement level with the client is much lower. And actually, it becomes a much more difficult process to actually get the right candidate. So we will always try and get into a search search basis. And it's a really focused um uh, delivery solutions. So while the advertising pays part of the process, a lot of what we do is headhunting. So in your in your s- particular area then, you can't be in the recruitment section like you are in this particular sector and not really understand, you know, the difference between, I don't know, a database and a, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. But because actually you've got to ask for very specific skills and, and I would imagine quite a lot of that is strategic as well but n- and not just very specific uh, technical skills. Yeah, it's quite challenging because... I actually came from a technical background, but most recruiters don't. Um, and we don't have that real depth of knowledge. But part of our process is we will bring um, technical um, interviewing into the, into the process. So we will outsource part of that and, and get some some um, some industry expertise to, to come and support that. But, you know, a lot of what we do is really challenging what the client's perception of what they want is. And, it, and, it's, and then we will go into competency-based reviews with the candidate. So... We need the overall understanding of what's happening in the market and from the challenging point of view and the new technologies. But a lot of what we do, we will gain that knowledge through the communication lines with the clients and with the candidates because we we obviously recruit in quite a lot of areas. So having having an in-depth knowledge is quite difficult. Yeah, because some clients might say, well, I've read a lot about machine learning or chatbots or something. I need one of them. I need, I need that. I'll go and find me somebody. That's not quite enough for you, is it? Well, well interestingly, um, so we are connected to um, a consultancy business that really focuses on um, innovation and true innovation. And actually, it was interesting when we were talking about data scientists, for example. And they said lots of companies have obviously flooded a whole department with data scientists. And they're not real scientists. And actually, one of the key areas to try and get data scientists from is from, you know, chemistry background, having physics degrees, and, and being having that scientific mind to then apply those skills into what is manipulating the data and coming up with new ideas. So sort of reversing into it. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, there are lots of... It's kind of cutting through the the buzzwords out in the market and everybody's jumping on the new digital transformation and actually if you think of all IT as it is it's always been transformation it's moved into digital but it's a really we often have the conversation um, you know how do you define digital and what is it you're transforming it's everything uh, absolutely and and it's, it's then actually 
lots of candidates are then suddenly becoming digital experts and, and it's cutting through those people to see whether they really have that in-depth knowledge. So, so um, moving over to Rob, Rob Johnson, um, you, you know, you advertise, you get a pool of people applying uh, and you advertise in all your normal channels, you do all the right things and lo and behold, you, you might have 20 candidates and all of them are chaps. What do you do? <laughs> I think that's, the, uh, that's our difficulty at the moment and I think particularly uh, we've got a lot of clients talking to us about making sure that there's diversity within a shortlist. For us, our role is to tap into as much talent as possible and to present that talent with opportunity. And actually, you know, the the event this evening, we recognise that women offer a huge untapped pool of opportunity of of, uh, of talent that we can present opportunity to. Um, so part of our role is just making sure that we network as widely as possible, find as many people as we can, and then encourage them to apply. And obviously within that, encourage as many women to apply as possible. I think we're, we have to be very careful not to positively recruit and not to specifically go after women. So you wouldn't do that as a, as a tactic? It doesn't work? I mean, I presume you've tried all sorts of things to, 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 you know, to overcome these, these issues, but that actually doesn't work you, you, you know, in, a, in a practical sense, you've found? It, it does work and it does, uh, it does support a more diverse shortlist. I think the challenge for us is actually we want to go after the best IT professionals. We don't, you know, we don't want to see that gender difference. We want to just see somebody who is a very accomplished very credible IT professional with skills in the area that our client is looking for and for us it's about you know finding as many people as possible whether they're men or women and then presenting them with the opportunity now the the fact exists that men are more likely to apply for a job than than a woman why is that I mean you're 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 a bloke sitting there um um, why why is that Is, is it because women lack the confidence and, and will only go for it if they really think they've got a chance or, or, or whereas a, a guy will say oh that looks interesting I'll just have a go you know is, is that a slight different mindset and I know we're generalising we are but I, I think it's absolutely correct it's uh, there's I, I think an inherent arrogance within men that actually if they see a small number of bullet points on a job spec they will look at it and think well I you know I can do two or three of those I can do the job and they will tend to apply women will want to make sure that they can you know and it's it's backed up statistically women will look at it and and want to see a much higher number of bullet points that they hit on a particular job spec before they'll apply so actually there is a role for us to play in making sure we engage with women a lot more at the outset of the process explain to them what the role is talk to them about their suitability and encourage them to apply so you know we have to be more proactive in that sense uh, and spend more time doing that but ultimately for us it's just about finding the right candidate who can do the job and do the best job for our client but ensuring that throughout our process we are absolutely fair and, and completely open. And I suppose what you're saying in a way is that, is that it's absolutely right. No, no, I would guess that no female really wants a job that, that, that they think that they're a token woman and, and somehow, you know, it's been fudged that, that, that they get it. Nobody, want, nobody wants to do that, I don't think. Um, but what you're saying is you're, you're, you're making sure that you have a wide, as wide a pool as possible, as wide, wider outlets and routes to market, if you like, as possible, to make sure there's as many candidates as possible. After that, you just need the right, you just need the right person for the job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we do come up against clients who say, you know, get me a woman or, or, or get me a, you know, a short list of women so that I can choose the best one from. I quite often say to somebody, can you just get me a man? But um, <laughs> not in the recruitment sense, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, and 
we're there to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to review the job description and understand whether it's the right job for them. But we, we've got to act fairly because otherwise, you know, it's positive recruitment, which we can't do over here. Um, you can do it in the States, you can do it in other countries, but over here we can't. And we've got to make sure that we're acting in accordance with, you know, with uh, our legal obligations. But um, it's also, for me, it's just about being fair. Um, and, you know, diversity... We recognise that diversity brings a huge amount of value in technology. There's an untapped uh, pool of, of skills that you know we can access now, and we're doing a lot to network in that area to make sure that we're, we're accessing more women. And, and I think everybody, I mean, everybody understands that completely. Um, and I guess what it means also is when you're writing ads or, or you're talking to clients or whatever, it's about using the right language so that you don't accidentally discriminate or don't accidentally put somebody off. Um, is, is, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. As, as Rob mentioned, we are bound by legislation anyway, where we, you know, and we have to follow those principles. So, you know, any of our advertising is neutral um, to whether it be, you know, diversity with women or race or whatever else, you know, and we, we have to have a breadth of, of uh, the talent pool. And that, and that is fundamentally what, what our responsibility is as a recruitment company. Um, interestingly, you know, I think... You know the the issue within IT and similarly in engineering and various other disciplines is is really trying to you know I think it's going to be a longer term process and we are looking at ways that we can connect into the younger female um, you know I've got two daughters they're growing up and trying to find ways that we can encourage those into an exciting world of technology and actually the longer the longer play is that encouraging more in will create more talent female talent in the marketplace and it will become less of an issue the problem right now is the supply demand model doesn't favor you know and and it's that historical view that men go into you know do it and or engineering all those kind of things so i think it's breaking the barrier of entry over the longer term that will create more diverse work work I mean, I've got two daughters as well. I mean, I'm much older than yours. But, um, you know, one of them's a lawyer. I mean, what's she a lawyer for? I mean, for goodness sake, I've tried to put her off for ages. It, it's, for me, that, that's going to be quite... That's un- going to undergo some huge changes and it's going to be a very, very rocky ride. If I now had, you know, uh, younger children who are at secondary school or whatever, I would definitely male or female be encouraging them to go into tech it's exciting you're going to be in huge demand i mean you know that better than anybody else in in resourcing um so get those girls applying that's what i would say well i think also there's such a diverse um opportunity um within the technology sector so you know the old days of sitting there coding and you know it, working in the environment now it, it's it's much faster pace you know there are opportunities at every level along the along the project scope it's much more about problem solving now than, than, than sitting there and thinking you need a maths degree to, to code surely you know i certainly think that those you know having those foundations of education that are important because the, the complexity of, of some of the work taken on you know that's key but actually there are other roles in and around that 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 um, you don't necessarily need that in more creative roles and, and they're more about you know vision and understanding and those kind of things because you're presenting information now to public or businesses in different formats and actually you know I think it will become more exciting for youngsters to come in because they are using tech every day far more than we ever you know we ever did it's part and it's and it's in schools now and it's piped through their veins so so your message then is that you don't have to be wearing a hoodie anymore to to be working you know because there is there is an image problem slightly isn't there you know you know a hoodie chap who 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 can't get a girlfriend because he's just looking at his screen all day uh, and at the weekend is gaming i mean that's just not true at all anymore 
I assume you're not talking I mean, about... It probably wasn't true in the first place, actually, but... Um, I assume you're not talking about recruiters there. You're talking about... No, I'm talking about... <laughs> you know, I mean, I work with a lot of software development companies, you know, and, and that is the, the sort of myth, is that somehow they're incredibly clever, you know, and, and very tuned in. And I think, I think a lot of Hollywood films haven't really helped, you know, that over the years. But, you know, it's not like that. The, the, the breadth of, of types of roles in it is, is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, there is still that you know, hoodie pizzas and, and late nights because of the, the nature of what you're developing. And actually, particularly around the um, digital side and, you know, AI and all those kind of things, there's lots of thought processes that go in. Um, and it is a form of, of creative outlet, you know, and so you have to think through those problems. And, you know, I think the world of dress codes within business is changing anyway. So, you know, the days of pinstripe suits around the city is, is over. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Um, and then just a final word, uh, uh, Rob. Have you got any advice for anybody that is trying, you know, probably um, or maybe wouldn't go through, let's say, a, a, you know, a high-end uh, resourcing company like yourself, but is just trying to, to place a job out and, and, and trying to get a more diverse sort of, uh, you know, group of people in their company. Have you got any sort of quick tips that, that you would advise in terms of searching for a, a, a really diverse workforce, particularly in tech? Uh, I think um, it's a very difficult thing to do and obviously we don't want to give too much away because otherwise we'll undermine our oh, come on. <laughs> undermine a lot of our value. But no, they, you know, I was talking to somebody this morning who, who gave the example of um, they advertised for a, uh, a software engineer and actually had no applications from women at all. They then went back to market and advertised for a software professional and they had about 50-50. And is that just, is that, and the whole of the rest of the ad stayed the same? It's just the title of the role? The rest of the ad was absolutely identical. So it was just the title. So I think there's something to be said about, um, about job titles. I think within the spec, there's more that we can do. You know, if you look at, look at architects and look at uh, analysts and the way that things have become a lot more functional, the softer skills are much more important. You know, we're having customers ask for people with um, you know, uh, customer engagement and, and that stakeholder management side. And maybe good communication skills and, and things like that. So, so for you, vocabulary is a really important thing when you're when you're crafting that and when you're talking to people about the role. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, for me, it's more around those competencies and the skills rather than getting bogged down in specific technology because you you just know you're going to you're going to appeal to a very small group of people. Keep it general. Keep the job title nice and broad. Get a really large pool of people and then work through that pool to understand who the best person is for your business. And you never know, you might find somebody who well, you never would have looked at in a million years, but you know they may actually be, end up being the best person for you. A real little diamond um, hiding in there. Absolutely, yeah. You never know. So, uh, Rob Johnson and Greg Harris of Global Resourcing, thank you very much. And if anybody does want to use Global Resourcing, where should they go? Um, you can give us a call. Um, on 028 253 1800 we're based just outside london uh, pop onto the website it's a brand new website being launched which is uh, www.global-resourcing.com that was testing you there wasn't it, it yeah i was just checking because <laughs> we we're actually launching a couple of other businesses at the same time so i'm just making sure we got the right one but um yeah you'll find us on the net just search global resourcing um and look out for the women in tech um uh sort of initiatives that are going Absolutely. on I mean, and I think if you are in recruitment or you are trying to, to find things um, and I think Rob uh, mentioned it earlier you know networking and going to some of these events is really it's really good not just because you're improving your network but actually because you, you, you it helps you understand the issues 
Yeah, it does. You know, we the, this morning uh, I was at the Tech Talent Charter. We've signed up for that to business. I think only three recruitment consultancies in the country so far have signed up. But you know, that gave us the opportunity to understand what the issues are within clients at the moment, um, so that we're in a position to do something about it and hopefully, you know, develop some best practice. That's great stuff. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks very much. So there we go. We're back in the studio. So let me ask you a question. Mm. So uh, iPhone 6, iPhone 7, iPhone 8 all mm-hmm. have biometric fingerprint readers. Yeah. The iPhone X, which is by far and away going to be like the gadget to have this Christmas and mm-hmm. certainly the next quarter, um, doesn't have a biometric reader. So is that therefore a safer phone or a less safe phone? Because they're saying facial recognition is the future um, and oh, we've all God, got facial no. recognitions and that sort of stuff. But in my mind, I've just lost a biometric reader off of my phone and I quite like that. And I certainly like it for Apple Pay and I don't. I've, I have yet to see, and we're in London, anybody to pick up that uh, phone and pay with their face. And I've seen about 40 people pay with, with your about face. iPhone X. Pay with your face, I like that sound. That's what you've got to do. The, the, thing, I, the thing I think about the, uh, the, the you know, the, 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 the thumbprint thing is it, it's, so, it's, so, it's so habitual for me. Hmm. It literally takes one-tenth of a second for me to put my thumb in the right place. Yeah. To actually get pick my phone up, I'm going to look a complete idiot as well. It's going to make me look really stupid. It's, it's pretty quick, but yeah. Yeah, but then you've got to get it in the right place and adjust it. And oh, again, it's please. I mean, it does work. I've seen it work open and that yeah. sort of stuff. And I have seen it fail as well. But I'm really interested to know from a technology security point of view, like what does that mean for the future? Yeah. Well, again, coming back to the ethics of everything we do and everything we say, Voyager Blue was sponsored about three years ago. No, this is really three, four years ago. This is pre the fingerprints, the iris recognition, the facial recognition on phones. But we were asked to conduct a a research and development study for the then TSB, not the bank, but the Technology Strategy Board, Mm -hmm. UK government department, into the security of NFC-enabled devices. We didn't do it ourselves because we aren't expert enough from a technology point of view to do that. We know the threat. We know how to build devices to help prevent the threat. So we linked with a leading university whose name remained anonymous for now, but a northern university, and it wasn't Bolton, who did the study on our behalf. And on a scale of one to 10, and I'm talking about NFC in phones now, and I'm not really talking about a biometric fingerprint or pin number or iris to open it and transact. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being vulnerable, the report concluded, which we issued to government, that they were about 9.5. And one of the reasons for that is that if you take the Android phone, for example, it's uh, an open source software architecture. Mm -hmm. And I said to you earlier in this, this interview that I can download apps because people are out there all the time developing apps to try and do stuff to try and introduce malware onto a phone Mm -hmm. that will circumvent the security features that banks and card issuing companies spend tens of millions trying to protect. So, Paul, I like the idea of a biometric before I am able to open the NFC to make a payment. Mm -hmm. So without it, if it's pure NFC, I would say it's more vulnerable. Interesting. So, so what you're saying? I don't understand any of that. Sorry. <laughs> so, what you're saying is that a, a face recognition is more is 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 better. What I'm saying is that if you use your face to 
open the transaction portal, for mm. the want of a better description, to then make the, the, the payment, then yes. If it's just using face, so it literally is your face and nothing else, mm. then... It's, it's not secure enough. But surely that's the same with a thumbprint, though. It's not, well, it's, it's, my it's argument not, it's not more or less is I've not seen a rise in people getting their thumbs cut off, you know, and their hands getting chopped off because it's so easy. The argument is... It's easy to chop your hand off. Well, if, if you wanted to steal someone's money and that sort of stuff, and just go around, and that's why the limit is at £30, isn't it? Because otherwise you could go and, like, you know, well, buy no, a Apple, Mercedes. You Apple know. pays nothing. There's no limits at all. Well, there is when you go to a contactless uh, supplier to play on... Um, you're shaking your head. Go no, on, tell isn't. us. Oh, I use it all the time. The, the, the whole yeah, point. Yeah, but you can't go to a Sainsbury's and spend a hundred and nine yeah, pounds. No, no, sorry, you you're saying you can. You can. The, the, oh, the point right. of Apple Pay is that there isn't a limit. That is the point because there's double authentication. So there isn't a thirty pound limit. That's why I use Apple Pay all the time, and that's why. That's I've, interesting. And that is why I've, I, I'm sick to death of, of when you go to Waitrose and they say, "Oh, sorry, love, it's only thirty pound limit." No, it's not. And then you do like £75 for your shopping. They go, oh, I never realised that. Well, don't they train you then? Did Interesting. Because you know? mine gets denied all the time for £30. And then I have to get out the credit card. And then you actually that's like, put only through got, that. That's because you've only got £30 in your account. <laughs> <laughs> well, what Thank we you, um, Sue. <laughs> I will exit but, but the whole point, the whole point of Apple Pay, it just goes straight. It goes straight. It goes whatever's in your bank account you can have. I'm just trying to think back now to whether it's been people saying £30 doesn't work or I've actually found it doesn't. It's people saying. So so when it's contactless, there's there's, there's only one form of authentication, that's your card. But when it's it's biometric and it's Apple Pay, it's your thumbprint and your card. And therefore, because it's double, there's no limit. So it's really companies' risk company's idea of risk that's stopping them off and oh okay and therefore well, the banks are okay to that's allow i think i've learned today the banks are okay to allow apple pay because it's double authentication mm. as long as you've got the money in your account yes mm. interesting mm. i've got Isn't to go and try that, that somewhere there you now go. I'll go and just got to you. decide where i'm spending 70 pounds yes yeah well you could spend it on me and mm. i'll come with you and show you i love it so Stoney is having a really interesting future of identity uh argument at the moment and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff with blockchain and other technologies where do you see the future of identity going based on what you're sort of working with well i you know i, I still talk to a lot of people in government around the world who are border managers and when I talk about border managers, it's biometrics of letting people into the country mm. or out people. of the country. Mm. Yeah. And I do see, and I've seen, again, I was saying to your colleague earlier, when we first started in that industry of iris recognition, you had to put your eye pretty close to the reader mm. within an inch or so for it to work. It didn't work. It was useless. I ended up taking mine off my passport because it, you know, it didn't work very well. It, it quite because, often because you had to back in the day be, be right in the uh, yeah. right position. But this was a while ago, and I'm, people I'm, were very worried I'm about sure. holding their eye up to a device and having something shone in it mm. and getting recognition. But literally four or five years ago, I saw this technology working at an airport conference at ten feet with a guy wearing sunglasses. Mm. Wow. So basically, um, having seen it work at such a distance, I think eventually you would potentially move away from the need for the phone to do it for a device in the supermarket to be able to do it. 
whether it be facial <sighs> recognition. Hold up, I'm not oh, cool with that. I'm not cool yeah. with that either. And you're probably talking, was it the Tom Cruise film, Minority Report? Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not keen on that at all. Well, here's my thing with that. It's like, I see consumer levels of trust in lots of brands all the time. Someone's always doing a study and like, people are pretty trustworthy of brands, you know? So for example, if Apple could be a bank, 40% of people would bank with them. That's a, that's a huge amount of people that are very interested in Apple becoming a bank. And Apple are making signs to show that they are also testing that out and they're, you know doing that sort of thing. Where people don't see a lot of trust is those low-level services like Tesco. I trust you to give me a pineapple, but I don't necessarily <laughs> trust you to always be a bank, but they've got a bank and that sort of stuff. But you're not seeing mass adoption of it. Things where they are incredibly unhappy with is being tracked for no apparent reason. I think payment's a very good reason for it, but I don't need you to facially track whether I'm excited when I turn round a corner of an aisle and that sort of stuff. So always on tracking, not happy with. I'm not happy with the fact that... Um, what is it, the Oxford Street Circus um, videos are tracking car number plates. I don't think that needs to be there so they can figure out on a moment-by-moment basis what ads they should be throwing up. I'm like, I get it, it's the future of advertising, more more personalised, more targeted and that sort of stuff, but I don't want them with all my, that data. My, my civil liberties, it feels like my civil liberties are being... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I went to um, a, a conference in Helsinki two weeks ago. You think it's cold here, you should go over there. Yeah. Um, and uh, there, was a, there was, I can't remember what position she was, was a, a lady from Airbnb talking. And what they're saying is they're really working hard on what they call the trust deficit. Mm-hmm. And that is, how do, we, how do we get our consumers and people that we work with and our suppliers and our partners to trust us? And they actually say that there is a trust deficit that you have to make up yeah. because that's what consumers are interested in. Can I trust you? I'm giving you more and more of my data. Mm. You're knowing more and more about me, but I'm only going to do it if I actually trust what you're doing. Is it valuable in some way? Yeah. Are you guarding it? Are you ov- yeah. are you overly stating that you're going to keep it secure? Yeah. And have you had any breaches in the last six months? That's what we're normally seeing. Yeah, and Airbnb, of course, it's, it's a hugely trustful thing to allow someone mm. to come and stay in your house. So so they've, they've been working on trust for quite a long time and they realise that it's a really important part yeah. of the relationship with their with with the I mean, customers. there's nothing more secure than letting a stranger in your home, is there? Really, you've got no. to have a very high level of confidence to do yeah, that. And they've, they've put all these things in place to you know to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and I think I think part of the thing that we're saying, Andre, is is it's, it's all fine doing these biometrics and whatever, but can I trust you to do it for the right reasons? You know, is it making me feel more secure? You know, can I trust that that, that these things are are going to be there for? I think that's the a right great. Reasons? It's a great question to ask. Mm. Because going back even 10 years, one of the massive challenges we had in the travel industry in terms of biometrics at airports, whether it be your biometric passport, which is now RFID, Mm. in North America, driving licenses are RFID. And by the way, some of them work over distance, not four centimetres. One of the problems we had way back then was the older generations just wouldn't buy into the biometric scanning of my finger, the reading of my vein, the reading of my face or my iris. But boy, have things changed. With the millennials, and I go out to Asia a lot and talk to my colleagues from the industry, the stuff they are doing on mobile phone devices Mm. with regard to border management, which is, if you like, one of the most trusted Um, secure points is letting people into your country, not so much letting them out. The stuff they're doing on mobile phones would make your toes curl. It's Mm. extraordinary. The thing is, though, Paul, is it it a generation thing for you? I I think I am much more guarded, but I don't know why that would be. Is it because 
younger people are slightly more naive about it and, and, and don't understand how it could be used or, or they're more trusting or I'm or talking on a panel about sort of like how millennials I hate that term I don't use it yeah, so I don't it's, like it's, it's in the book I just say young people yeah. um how they are different attitudinally to certain things but there's I think there's two points I think number one technology has never been more present in a generation than this one you know that can certainly be more invasive or um, pervasive mm. um and I think when you look at technology these days so take Apple for example what have they just done in their next uh, in their iPhone X They've just said, that's the future because we're not giving you any other option. There's no biometric under that screen. They've told you exactly what the future is going to be. No more biometrics. They're not happy with that technology and it's gone. Unless I see an iPhone 11 soon that has a, one, a scanner come out or there's a consumer revolt against facial recognition. But they did exactly the same, you know, for, for earphones, right? Yeah. You're going to have wireless earphones, whether you like it or not, chaps. There you go. Absolutely. And, and let's so- take, if I may, Paul, interrupt, take back a little while in terms of fingerprint recognition and you may laugh, but one of the problems with the rollout of it was people with eczema can't use fingerprint recognition mm-hmm. sometimes because the way their skin is on their fingers. Mm-hmm. Take the guy who lays bricks on a building site. He's got no fingerprints. Mm. The skin is worn and gravelly. So add all these things in, and they're not sometimes all that they're you know, cracked out to be. But I mean, when you when you look at those sorts of use cases and that is usually less than like 5% of, of people. So, of course. Uh, you know, you can get broad adoption quite quickly. My issue with a lot of these technologies is that you don't get a chance to opt out. And so when you when I when I saw the iPhone X for the first time, I went, just tell me how I get the the digit pads up and that sort of stuff to make put my number in. They were like, well, here you go, and they've just made it that one step dif- more difficult to do swiping up and all. You know, it's it's how technology sort do, of like. Do pervades. you think there will be at some point a rebellion where, where somebody like Apple then does have to go back to the previous version because actually people are saying you're making a decision for me. I don't want you to make that decision. It's the wrong decision, chaps. And and actually then not adopt it. Mm. So they then might have to go back. Potential is always there for that. Because I haven't seen that happen yet. I haven't seen it happen recently. I have seen it happen. You two downloading their stuff on iTunes, I think they really, really got the hang of that. Everybody got very, very angry with them over that. Yeah, and you haven't seen it happen again, but you could always argue the the, the tech's always there, you know, and that sort of stuff. So I think it's a really interesting um, time that we live in for technology adoption generally, because a lot of these technologies that come in and seem really useful and, like, non-pervasive are actually potentially very damaging, you know, and that sort of stuff. Because my data has now gone to Apple for my fingerprint and that sort of stuff. Even if it's hashed on the device and stuff like that, there's always that little bit of like, well, someone could hack it. And, you know, as you've said today, if you did go around with one of those um, contactless payment schemes, you could get £30 off of people. I have seen videos on the underground of that happening um, and a lot of them are scare stories and that sort of stuff. But I really do think that we're getting a better level of security, whether that is just me perceiving it or actually technologically we are getting there. The potential for that has definitely increased. Yeah, I think, again, one of the things to consider in terms of the security on the cards or even on the mobile phone is what is known as a relay attack. So they're not decrypting the data. They're literally just bouncing the data from your phone through a device to a point of sale terminal Mm. in real time with real data to buy. It might just be a coffee. Mm. So a relay attack is something that's very real as well. 
Mm. And I think that, again, all of this comes down to like interesting services that you've got to have on top of these things. So my bank, my Monzo, for example, at the moment, have a very specific system where the only logo to see for Pret will be the one that Pret gives them. And anything else, you have to almost recognise that it's not there. So again, these extra sort of levels of trust and sort of verification come in. I think that's a really interesting area. That and, and again, coming back to this, this, this conference where Airbnb was speaking, it's actually also the perception of trust. It's not necessarily any safer. No. But it's making thing, yeah. you feel like those things are giving it an extra level. But yeah. I think what we really did is we actually need that extra level, please. Mm. <laughs> As I, opposed well, to the I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately, these are new behaviours that we have to sort of learn and make sure that people are mm. sort of taking seriously. But, you know, I want technology to reduce the layer that I have to actually think about these things, but be safer, like you say. We have, um, we have spoken to the banks. We visited many banks and talked around the boardroom about the issues we're talking about here. But the banks or the card issuers just say, it's not needed. And we've said what we've experienced is, and we've probably supplied almost 5 million shields. People don't buy the shields because they hate contactless. People love it, but they just want that extra layer that makes them feel comfortable when they're buying in store. But you see, again, for me, having worked before at a bank, uh, albeit a long time ago, it's what they call not material. So for them, if there's, you know, one billion pounds worth of fraud, yeah. actually that's that's not material for them because they, they turn over. Right? Absolutely. And, and so for them, it is the percentage and the level. And they, they, they still might not perceive that as being material enough for them to, to, to worry about it. Agreed. Because actually putting all those processes in place is actually going to cost them more money than they're, current, they're currently mm. losing, I'm, I'm guessing. But that won't change until... The level of it becomes so big, it's too much of a dent on their on their bottom line. I'm guessing. Yeah. And we have asked those questions. Mm. Will you publish the amount of? Because you can't call it fraud. An accidental payment isn't fraud. Mm. So besides publishing fraud statistics for 2016, 2017, will you publish data on people ringing up and saying this payment appeared on my statement, mm. but I didn't make it? Yeah. Mm, difficult one we're wrapping well, up one last thing what do you yeah. uh, you got a whole global audience listening to you at the moment what's one problem they can help you with well basically what we're trying to do is link um, our RFID shielding technology which helps prevent all the things we've discussed what we haven't discussed is what happens if you lose your wallet mm. what happens if somebody picks it up mm-hmm. during lunchtime having you drop your wallet and they go to the store so what we want to do is people to recognise that what we're trying to do is it's technology for people on the move. Mm-hmm. And we have technology to prevent abuse of contactless technology, but we also have technology to help people prevent the loss of your wallet in the first place using Bluetooth tech and apps. So you're looking for testers for that or who um, can help you at the moment? Well, basically, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty good where we are in terms of our, our research and development and the teams we have and the people we have to help us do that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, we just want to make sure that VB Asset Connect, which will be at our own crowd-connected solution, um, gets out there. Okay, Doug. Jolly good. So if you want to learn a little bit more about Voyager Blue, um, it's voyager-blue.com and you can find out about uh, all their stuff there. Andre K, thank you so much for joining us. It is slightly scary, but at the same time, it's brilliant. I cannot imagine Mm. going out and not just waving my phone at something, you know, or or just doing contactless. So it's here to stay for sure, isn't it, Paul? And I I think it is about just refining it and making sure it's it's as secure as possible. Yeah. Mm. So you've been listening to the Tech Talk Show. 
Um, we're syndicated all across the world almost and um, I'm so pleased to be joined by my fellow lovely presenter. Are you a bit warmer now, Paul? I am warmer. Paul blood Armstrong, is pumping. Um, who's author of Disruptive Technologies. And if you want to recommend any future guests or you want to tell us about your payment stories, anything like that, please contact us via Twitter on at Tech Talk Show UK. Or you can listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts on techtalkshow.co.uk. Have a good week. Bye.